This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. The kings and queens of old return to Narnia, and so do we. It's the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Uh, we didn't do this one as... I just realized the other night as we were watching this, I was like, we didn't do this as a series. No, we didn't. Because it, it doesn't feel... It's not as quintessential, at least to me. Well, I think it doesn't feel like a series the same way that Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings felt like series. Um, maybe because there was a bigger gap of time. Yeah. Like, in between and you didn't movies. know how many they were going to make. Yeah. Like, we knew they were going to make all the Lord of the Rings and all the Harry Potters, unless they, like, bombed at some point. Right. But, like, this one, it's like, eh, we just kind of petered out and didn't finish the series with the movie. Right? There's, like, more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There and are they, more. <laughs> and they just kind of stopped. So maybe that's why it doesn't feel like the same kind of thing. Uh, but there are three movies, so we could have done it as, like, a, a summer series. But uh, we're returning to Narnia. As I mentioned in the intro, um, with Prince Caspian, uh, we have all of our normal segments. Uh, are we going to do a? Well, let me sum up. Do we want to do? What do we want to do for that? Because <laughs> I know that's way different than, or probably signif- fairly different than the movie is. Mm-hmm. I'll give a brief sum up before we get to guess who. But we have all the rest of our segments. I'll do a brief one for the movie, and kind of probably I assume similar for the book, just like a, a real brief, like back of yeah. the back of the cover blurb thing. Um, I also wanted to say before we get started, we're going to try to keep this uh, G-rated. I'm going to do my best not to curse at any point throughout the course of this episode. That's my plan. We're going to try. That's my. I'm going to try. I I think I. I think I'll be able to succeed. Um, But I'm going to go in with the mindset. So if you're listening and some kids are listening or whatever, uh, we will. You know, there may be things that we discuss or slightly older topics or whatever. But in general, you know, no cussing and that sort of thing. I also wanted to give a slight disclaimer that if you're new to the podcast or if you're just listening in for the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a, a, ch- a Christian children's literature. Yes. Uh, it's a lot of Christian allegories and that sort of thing. A, a lot, lot of people, a lot of Christian themes. A lot of Christian themes. A lot of people came to these stories because of that as children. Probably, I would assume. I don't know. I was not raised religious in any mm-hmm. way, which is what my disclaimer here is. At times, I'm going to get into topics us in general, but specifically, I have a couple things I want to talk about that are critical of religion, critical of the 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 religion the sort of elements of it that are incorporated in this book and the, well, the movie, cause mm-hmm. I didn't read the book. Um, uh, I am not religious. I am an atheist. So I, I have my criticisms of all that stuff. I'm not going to go like hard in the paint on any of that, but I just want to let you know if all of a sudden I'm like criticizing Aslan and his weird moralizing, uh, when we get later in the thing, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, again, it's not going to be like a major element of the review, but I just wanted to warn you, you know, if you're coming in as a, as a religious listener, there may be a little bit of that. So, <laughs> But mostly we're going to talk about the film and the movie. 
uh, the book and the movie and what worked and what didn't for us and all that normal stuff that we talk about. I think if you've listened to our podcast at all, you've kind of gotten that vibe from me from sort of different things. Mm, yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, I don't think that's like a secret. But I, I didn't re-listen to our Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe episode. I don't think I talked about it that I don't much. remember if we talked about it. I think I mentioned, well, we talked about in the prequel that he said it was a Christian allegory or didn't, that it was, you know, he didn't like allegories. And then we, t- yeah. I think we came, it came up a little bit. We didn't go in depth on it. And then I, I think overall, because it's a very loose, uh, like there's only elements of it in general. And, and that's kind of one of my criticisms of when it does come into the film, which we'll get to of like how sort of... <laughs> not ham-fisted but it just kind of like the rest of this is just like a fantasy story that you you don't have it doesn't have there are the allegories there are the the sort of callbacks to to stories uh from the bible and that sort of thing but or in post bible whatever but it's not like super overt you can watch Mm -hmm. it and just enjoy it as a fun fantasy movie Mm -hmm. at least i to me it felt that way like i was like yeah it's just like a fun fantasy film because there's there's tons of christian metaphors and symbolism and allegory in lord of the rings at times so and in harry potter and and in harry potter like all these things have a different elements inspired by it this one's a little more overt uh and then this movie has its moments where it's a little more overt so we may talk about that a little bit um but overall yeah i just wanted again kind of throw that out there but let's get to it and uh i'm gonna try to sum up this movie let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Prince Caspian, uh, I don't remember how long it's been in the real world. Several, a year or two? Like a year. A year since the the Pevensies left uh, Narnia uh, at the end of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, they're in a train tunnel, and they get whooshed back to Narnia. Um, uh, it's been uh, only a year in their time, but uh, 1,300, 1,000 years, over 1,000 yeah. years since they left previously. So the, their, their their sort of previous story, the previous place they occupied is all in ruins. There's a new regime in town, the Telmarines, um, who are sort of a ruthless, from what we can see, um, a group of uh, a nation of people who have stomped out the previous Narnians to, to the point that they've uh, sort of faded into folklore, into myth. Most of them don't even think they exist anymore. Uh, but we find out over the course of the movie that the Nardians do, in fact, still exist. Uh, the Nardians of old. And um, uh, so that's kind of the setup. Uh, we're then introduced to Prince Caspian, who is the son of the former king of the Telmarine kingdom or empire, whatever it is. Uh, we were kind of shallow on some of those details in this, but that's fine. Um, he's the prince uh, born to the former king who passed away. Uh, it's a kind of a classic. Uh, what is this? Uh, Hamlet? No. Um, it's Hamlet-y. Yeah, Hamlet. Uh, Storyline of the brother of the king mm-hmm. wanting to usurp the throne. Uh, so when he has a son, uh, the brother of the king, uh, he has Prince Caspian assassinated, but Prince Caspian escapes, gets away, and then he has to return to the throne at the end to be the rightful heir, that sort of storyline. Um, kind of a classic, you know, that thing. Uh, it's a Lion King. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah uh so so but then prince caspian ends up running into the pevensies when they show up uh he's in the movie he summons them basically uh which we'll talk about later kind of my confusion on what's going on there i'm hopefully you have some details about that uh but he summons the pevensies uh either on purpose or an accident they show up they unite to uh take down the telmarine army that is coming to finish stamping out the rest of the Narnians, which they're now aware exist in farther greater forces than they expected uh, so that they can continue their rule of Narnia or Telmarine as they call it now, I guess. Um, uh, But Prince Caspian and the Pevensies and all the Narnians are able to 
win the day. Uh, Prince Caspian regains his rightful heir, rightful throne, uh, and allows the Narnians and the Telmarines to live peacefully together as one big happy family. And the Pevensies go back home to the real, you know, uh, 1940s England or whatever. World War II England, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. So, and then happy ending. Woohoo. Except now they're in war torn London <laughs> during the Blitz, probably. So, yeah. Uh, but that's roughly it. Uh, kind of a lot of classic sort of. Uh, folk fairy tale um, storylines going on, uh, but yeah, that's so. If you haven't seen the movie or read the book, that's roughly what's going on. That's that's it. Is that close to the book? Yeah, that's roughly what happens in the book. Um, okay, you know there are some kind of like plot points throughout that right. we didn't really hit on sure. that are a little bit different, but that's the basic premise. Yeah, cool. All right, let's move on and play. Guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must. Know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. Guess who is the game show portion of our uh, little podcast here, where since I have not read the book, Katie's going to read character de- character descriptions from the novel, and I'm going to try to guess who those are based on having just seen the movie. So, how many do we have? Uh, we have two. Okay. Lewis is a little sparse on character descriptions, um, but we do have a, a couple to work with here. Uh-huh. Um, our first one. He was very stocky and deep-chested. He would have been about three feet high if he had been standing up, and an immense beard and whiskers of coarse red hair left little of his face to be seen except a beak-like nose and twinkling black eyes. All right, so this seems pretty obvious. Uh, uh, An actor, I don't remember this character's name, um, but played by an actor who I did not realize was in this movie. Well, I guess I did because I remembered it was funny. The only thing I remember, I never saw this movie in theaters, hadn't seen it until we watched it last night. Um, but the only thing I remembered about this movie, other than that it was called Prince Caspian, was the one line. For, and I guess I'm assuming it's in the trailers because that's the only reason I would remember it, which is this character saying, you may find Narnia a more savage place than you remember yeah. or something like that. And I just wrote that line stuck out in my head. And as soon as he said it in the movie again, when we watched it last night, I was like, oh, it's Peter Dinklage that says that because Peter Dinklage is in this movie <laughs> and he plays this dwarf character who I don't know the name of. You know, I honestly don't know they say his name name at least once but probably once once. no they probably say it a couple times but yeah they they do say it for sure i remember but i just don't remember what it is well you're right yeah it's Um, gotta be peter dinklage's character his name is trumpkin trumpkin yes trumpkin the dwarf yes yeah, I, I mean, the, all of C.S. Lewis's naming glory. Yeah, Trump and uh, the dwarf. It was pretty obvious uh, based on a description: uh, the beard and the red beard, and the, he doesn't really have black eyes, but yeah, I mean, may, you know, he has dark eyes, whatever. So yeah, that one, that one was pretty obvious. And okay. the three foot tall thing, kind of yeah, makes that kind of gives it away. Kind of gives away the game, uh, but I didn't want to leave that out. That's fair. Okay, so our next one then. He had a long, silvery, pointed beard which came down to his waist and covered his face, which was brown and covered with wrinkles, looked very wise, very ugly, and very kind. Okay, well, this is Albus Dumbledore. So this is, um, <laughs> and I don't know his name, uh, but he would be, I would assume, the 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 the, the professor, the guy who, te- I think he calls him professor? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. The guy who teaches, like Prince Caspian's like teacher, who saves him when he's going to be assassinated and sneaks him out of the castle. 
Uh, and he's like, yeah, like a professor. Yeah, or something. yeah, you're right. Okay, what's um, his name? His name's Doctor Cornelius. I don't know if that's I, ever said. I I know they said Trumpkin's name at least yeah. once. I have no idea if they actually said this yeah, character's I don't name. Yeah, but Caspian, I think, does call him professor. Yeah, I thought he times. called him professor, which yeah. makes more sense because it's not, a doctor sounds a little weird mm-hmm. because that's like a a modern feels like a more of a modern like. Um, it's a it's a title that you earn. Like it yeah. seems weird to call somebody from a weird fantasy kingdom a doctor. I mean, I I, I guess it's not weird. I'm sure that's where the modern version of doctor probably comes from. But it just fe- professor feels more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're taking the cues from Harry Potter. Yeah, that, maybe probably. I think. Well, and we'll talk about it. I have it in my odds and ends. I think they took a lot of cues from a lot of things mm-hmm. and criticisms people had of the first movie and why they thought maybe it didn't do quite as well as they were. Ho- I mean, it made a ton of money, but still, um, anyways, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that stuff later. So two for two. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Um, yeah. Uh, Lewis is pretty sparse on character description. Uh, he doesn't describe any of the Pevensies. Maybe he did in Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I don't remember. Um, and no description of Caspian other than that. He's a boy about Peter's age. Okay. So cool. All right, that was it for guess who. We're gonna move on to the meat of this stuff, and we're gonna get into my questions, where I ask, "Was that in the book?" Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right. First question. Uh, now I know his name, Doctor Cornelius. My question was: Does Albus Dumbledore save Prince Caspian from being murdered after his mom gives birth to a son? Uh, and does, and is that where the story starts? Or do we open up with the Pevensies? Because I was kind of wondering, the movie opens up with this this midnight birth and then Caspian yeah. escaping from the castle because it's a bit more action-y than yeah. potentially whatever the Pevensies might have opened up with. So how does the book start and does that happen? Um, so Dr. Cornelius does help Caspian escape the castle after his aunt gives birth. It's his aunt? It's his aunt. Oh, see, I, I think his... in the movie, do they change that? No, it's that's still his aunt. I was okay. I was under the assumption from the movie, and now I may have missed this that it it's his uncle, but that his uncle married his mom oh, you after took it really Hamlet. Yeah, I thought his uncle married his mom after um, his father died. Well, that's not the case in the book. Okay, okay. And I don't recall any textual evidence of that in the movie. I, I there was an, I was just going under the assumption that she somehow held the bloodline and that her him having a son with her would then as long as Caspian's out of the picture would give his son mm. claim to the throne because otherwise his son has no real claim to the throne. I mean, I guess he's the brother. He's uh, somehow. Yeah. And I don't know. It felt weird to, to me. I was under the impression that and the way she reacts when. Okay, I guess, yeah, I guess that's accurate. For me, I I would be interested to see if anybody else read it that way just watching the movie because Mm -hmm. I super assumed that that was his mom and that she remarried his uncle after after his dad died. Not according to the book. Okay, now that makes sense. It's fine. I'm I'm okay with that, but that's just not (laughs) what I got. Okay, all right. Uh, so the that does happen, uh, but the book does not open with that. It starts with the Pevensies, like you guessed. Yeah. Um, I have more thoughts on that change in uh, not one but two other segments. Gotcha. Uh, and it doesn't help my confusion that 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 female character has one line in the whole movie. Yeah, right. And she just is like, <laughs> and mostly just looks at people occasionally, and then like shoots an arrow at somebody. 
Caspian, yeah. I think. I don't even remember who she shoots yeah. it at. I there's like a standoff and she's all upset about who because he she finds out that Casp or her husband murdered the previous king. And yeah. She's like, what? Uh, and that's what kind of made me think that it was her husband because like her reaction to it is more like, mm-hmm. what? And like she seems angry at him. Now, I mean, that can be fine with this, him having murdered the king also makes sense. But for, for yeah. something about it to me felt like, oh, my God, you murdered my husband type of thing. Like he yeah. didn't just die in his sleep or whatever. That was why I was reading. The, OK, anyways. <laughs> um, and I don't think she has a name in the movie. No. But you want to know what her name is in yes. the book because it's a great one. Her name is Pruna Prismia. Pruna Prismia. Pruna Prismia. It's a heck of a name. It is. I think we should make that one of the top baby names for 2020. Pruna. Pruna Prismia. Wait, is that her? That's her full name. That's Pruna her Prismia. first name? Pru- yes, that's her I first name. I thought that name. was like a first no. middle or something. Look, at, look. Look here in the book. Queen Pruna Prismia. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's See, I thought you were thing. saying Pruna no. space Prismia. It's all one word, people. All one word. Wow. Pruna Prismia. All right. There you go. Wild. All right, next question. Do they transport to Narnia sort of just randomly in a train tunnel? I was very, like, kind of, I mean, obviously in the first one they go through the wardrobe, um, but it's kind of like the uncle's like, don't go in there or whatever, mm-hmm. right? I think he says don't go in there. It doesn't matter. Anyways, they find out, or maybe he doesn't say don't go in there, but she hides in the in the, in the the wardrobe and ends up going through, and it's like a tunnel. That, yeah, it's like a, classic, por- like a classic portal classic story. Classic portal story. Uh, in this one, they're just standing in a busy subway or subway tunnel, train tunnel, and then it just... The world melts away, and then they're in Narnia. Is that how it happens in the book? A um, couple other things. Uh, one other thing here. When that happens, are they like in school children attire? Are they like in their 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 outfits for school? <laughs> or do they attend like prep academies or whatever? Yeah, they go to boarding school. Boarding school, you know, yeah. like British kids right. do. Um, so that scene is pretty much the same. Uh, the horn calls them back while they're waiting on the train to go back to school. They are in their uniforms when they get to Narnia. Um, the biggest difference is that the train tunnel isn't crowded oh, okay. when it calls them back. They're, they're like waiting on a platform gotcha. and they're pretty much by themselves. Um, as for like exactly how that works, I'm just going to say magic. And that's totally fine that's totally fine it just seemed i didn't real see first off in the movie i didn't connect until later the horn had anything to do with it mm. i mean mm-hmm. they explained that later and i was like oh okay so he him right and you horn. have a question more about the horn later yeah. we'll so. talk about that more later yeah. but i but at first i didn't even connect those two things i thought he was blowing the horn for help say like from like maybe he changed his mind and was like these dwarves are gonna kill me of uh, King's Guards, this is where I am. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't sure what that was, but we'll talk about that more later. Did the Telmarines murder all the old Narnians? Uh, and are they... The, so is the place... This is kind of like a lost adaptation. Is the is the world called Narnia? Is the continent called Narnia? This might be more questions than I asked. This is more, so I may be getting into more here than you were prepared to answer. But is the world Narnia? Is the continent Narnia? Because they're the Telmarines... But they live on Narnia now, and they they call the people they murdered the Narnians. Um, so one, I guess first off, did they murder all the Narnians and drive them into hiding and, and, and sort of type of thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, so the Narnian people are mythological creatures. They're okay. fawns, centaurs, right. dwarves, etc., and then talking animals. So they're not humans, 
um, which is like a whole thing right. with humans showing up there. Uh, the Talmarines do commit genocide against them, uh, so there aren't that many uh, old Narnians left. They've like been driven into hiding, those that are left. Yeah. Um, so Narnia, I am looking at the map in the book here because this map, this book has maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Narnia is the name of the country, the map of Narnia and the surrounding countries. Okay. So there's also the Wildlands of the North and Archenland and Cowermen. Is there Telmarine? Is that where they came from? I, I did, that was, I guess, I, I should have written that question. Is I didn't know where the Telmarines came from. If they came from another land. Yeah. So they come. The Telmarines because they come say from that at the end. Telmar. Okay. They say that at the end. Something about them coming there. Or something. I, yeah. I, I just kind of missed it, and I wasn't. They didn't really explain that as much. I wasn't sure, like, if they came from another continent type of thing and showed up and then wiped them out and lived there. Which, sure, like, makes sense. Right, so the Telmarines are from Telmar, which is another country, like, nearby Narnia, I think. Okay. Um, but they're originally from our world, as yeah. Aslan explains at the end. Yes, and that was what I thought he said, but I was a yeah. little confused on that. I was like, wait, so that means they're from, like, the modern world? Or, like, not the modern world, but... They're from Earth. Earth. Yes, yeah. they're from Earth, basically. So Caspian is human which is part of the reason that he the Narnians the are cool with him sitting on the throne. Yeah, and, and why he can resurrect the queen yeah. or whatever, because he has the blood of Adam in him yes. or whatever. Yeah. I, I didn't quite get that until the end, and even then I was a little fuzzy on it. I was like, oh, okay, I guess they're humans, basically. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So they the kids at one point, in the, after they get back, they they're, they come back to Narnia, they get all their old weapons and stuff in the movie. Um, gear up, and then they they come across uh, uh, Trumpkin, who has been captured by the Telmarines and is being taken to be killed or drowned mm-hmm. in the river after he's been used to prove that the Narnians are still alive by the evil uncle. Uh, he's like, take him and kill him, and uh, our uh, the Pevensies save him. And then there's this scene in the movie where he like, I didn't quite understand what this was. He like. Looks at that, sizes them up, and is like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're the, you're the kings and queens of old. You don't look that tough." And then they like sword fight Trumpkin, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Is that that felt like a movie thing of like we need an action beat here, and we want to see like them do something?" I don't know. It just felt strange. Was that from the book? Um, yeah, actually. Okay. Um, Edmund's sword fight with Trumpkin does happen, and it does serve the purpose of showing Trumpkin that they can be helpful, and then they're not just, like, useless kids. Yeah. But it doesn't happen, like, immediately after they meet him. Yeah. And it's much more of a friendly fight. Gotcha. Because, like, they they meet up with him, and they're talking with him, um, and they're like, okay, well, take us to Caspian. We can help. And he's like, ah. I don't know. You guys are just kids, so like Do they, they know does he know that they're Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That the the kings and queens of old or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that just felt I don't know. I was I think maybe the movie just felt something about it felt a little weird. I was like, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Like the way he like I guess the dialogue felt a little off to me and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But I mean I knew what was going on, but it just felt strange. Um to the point that it felt like maybe a weird movie yet. But actually it makes more sense that if it felt a little strange and truncated, the fact that it's in the book and they kept it in the movie, but it doesn't quite fit there. Or at least yeah. to me it felt like it didn't quite fit there. Yeah, no, I would agree with that assessment. Does Lucy almost get mauled by a bear? 
Um, it doesn't play out exactly the same way, but they do have a run-in with a wild bear, and Trumpkin does shoot the wild bear. And then, oh, I guess I should have asked the line. Does the line, the only one, I didn't think about this until just now, the only line I remember from this movie uh, where Trumpkin says, I think you'll find Narnia a more savage place than you remember. Is that from the book? I don't think that's okay. in the book. I could double check if you like. I, we don't need to sit, in, but but from your memory. But from does. my memory, I don't recall that specific line okay. appearing in the book. That also feels like a line that would be uncharacteristic of C.S. Lewis yeah. to me. Um, they went a little grittier for this movie. Oh, yeah, they did. I have notes about that for sure. But that's not what his books are. <laughs> so... Very cursory search makes me think that that's just in the movie. Yeah, it was a very cursory search, so most some people will probably know better. This is the question that we touched on earlier with the magic horn, and I gotta get back to and ask about: Does Prince Caspian have a magic horn that summons the kings and queens of old? Second part of that question: Why does he blow it? If if that does exist, and he does indeed blow it. Why does he do it? Is it his attempt? Is he knows? Does he know what it does? Is he trying to bring the Pevensies back? What's that whole situation? Okay. Because I was a little confused at that and the so, motivation. The horn belonged to Susan when yes. she was queen. Uh, she gets it from Santa Claus in The Lion, yeah. the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's one of her gifts. Right. Um, and it's I power. will say real quick. Just to clarify, too, it's been since we did this on the podcast yeah, that, that I've like seen this movie, ago. and that was like two years ago. I probably should have rewatched it to try to refresh myself a bit on these details because that was something I just did not recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, sorry, continue. Um, so the power, the horn's power, is that when you blow it, no matter where you are, help will come to you. Uh, Caspian blows it right away in the movie, which actually isn't the case in the book. He and the Narnians debate quite a bit about whether or not to use the horn um, and whether it will call the Pevensies or Aslan or both or somebody else entirely. Okay. They don't really know. Right. Interesting. Okay. Because that was a, in the movie, it felt very unclear to me. Eventually, it does seem like it was his intent to bring them back because, mm-hmm. like, when they show up, he's like, "Oh, I thought you'd be older," and like that sort. Of, like, it's where it seems like he, yeah, thought they would show up, and that that was his intention. But it, the way it plays out in the movie, because it's in the heat of this moment right. of battle, basically, I was a little unsure of like, well, what did he just panic and do it, or did he know it was going to bring? Again, I thought like I didn't know. I was just confused by that all around in the movie. Um, I think the movie got a little bit muddled up here because uh, in the book um, they plan for him to blow the horn. Right. And they're like, yeah. well, we don't really have like we don't have a huge army, so we might as well use the horn and just see what happens. Um, so he's going to he's planning to blow the horn and they send they send Trumpkin to Car Paravel. To uh-huh. just in case the Pevensies show up and they send the other dwarf somewhere else that I can't remember now. Yeah. And Caspian's going to blow it at a specific time, like when they'll both be there. Yeah. Um, and he does in the book, I believe he ends up having to blow it a little bit early because they get like kind of like attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the the movie kind of tried to like have it both ways and didn't really know what exactly it wanted to do. I think they just wanted to get the Pevensies to 
Narnia faster. Yeah. So having it be in that opening act, him blowing the horn, like that opening sequence, basically, mm-hmm. him blowing the horn kind of makes sense in terms of like, now we can get them here real quick. Like, yeah. get them here and then we'll sort it out from there. Um, it really makes sense. And it's just, I was, like I said, I was only confused on his motivation if he knew what he was doing with that horn. You know, because it seemed like he didn't know anything about it at this right. point in the movie. Because and I, like I can't remember what Dr. Cornelius says to him when he hands, because he gives him the horn. Yeah. And he goes, oh, your whole world's about to change. Does he tell him to blow it? I don't think he does, though. I don't does, think he does. That's what I'm saying. I didn't remember him saying to like, oh, if you need help, blow this or something. Yeah. I felt like he just gave him the horn and then was like, your whole world's about to change. There's so much I wish I could tell you. Ki-i. And then the horse runs off. Yeah. And it's like, well, Okay. I guess like he just thought maybe Cornelius would come, but then it, and then again later it just seems like he knows that this yeah. horn was gonna summon it. Uh, I think that all, yeah. But no, nah, whatever, it works fine for the movie. Do this was in the movie kind of interesting to me. So once Caspian uh, shows up um, with the Narnians in the in the movie within a span of five minutes in one scene. He's like, I'm Prince Caspian. I'm the the tenth uh, son of the last uh, Caspian. Uh, I'm gonna. You guys should fight with me, and we'll take down the Telmarines, and we can all live in peace together. And they're like, Yep, sign me up. My life is yours. My axe and my and my bow and my axe. <laughs> and I was like, Wowzers! That happened quickly. Um, they went from like, We're going to execute you to like, We will die for you <laughs> in like five minutes in this movie. And I was like. All right. Uh, is that what happens in the book, or is that is this sped along in the film? Uh, the movie does speed it along, but the Narnians do decide to fight with him pretty quickly. Okay. Helps that he has the blood of Adam. Yeah. Um, in the book, he they know that at that point. Yeah. Okay. I guess because I guess all Telmarines do technically. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in the book, he's with Badger. But then they, they can just sorry, they can just say that for all Telmarines. But yeah. Okay. Sure. Right. Anyways, continue. So in the book, he's with Badger and Nickabrick, who is the other dwarf, for a bit. And then they take him to meet the bears. And then they all go to a big gathering of Narnians, at which point he makes a passionate speech and they agree to help him take the throne. So okay. he does spend more time with them than it would appear in the movie. All right. But yeah, I just, yeah, I was a little confused, a little surprised at how quickly they're like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Ride or die. Let's go. Do Peter and Caspian uh, fight it out when they first run into each other? And do they have uh, a long running man feud? Um, no. Uh, in, there, over the course of the film? No. Okay. There's no conflict between Caspian and the Pevensies in the book. Okay. There's not really between the Pevensies in the movie. Just Peter. Yeah. Pretty specifically just Peter. It's sort of a toxic masculinity. Yeah, like, Peter, I'm the big king man on campus. Peter no, is I'm our the, mad boy yeah, in this one. Yeah, for sure. And they have a little bit of a sword fight. I mean, and not like they, they sword fight because they don't know each other and they don't know what's going on yet. But um, I just thought it was interesting. And that felt like a, a movie ad them like not only the sword fight between them when they first run into each other, but then also like the like. Yeah, I'm 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 no. We're doing what I say. I'm the big man. <laughs> Do they have a sweet eagle stealth mission where they fly around in a castle taking out guards and murdering people? Well. In the book? Because they do in the movie and it's pretty great. <laughs> the entire sequence where they try to take the castle is not in the book. Ah. So. That's. No. Kind of. What a figure. Yeah. I didn't know about the whole thing not being in the book, but that does kind of make sense. Yeah. Um, and that 
I, I guess I'll, well, I, mean, I guess you may have that in the later section, but that's interesting because it definitely kind of gives Peter something to do mm-hmm. as the, the once and former king or whatever um, <laughs> to kind of, he, he wants his plan is like, we can take the castle. And Caspian's like, no. And that kind of drives their like thing together. Mm-hmm. It also gives us a good second act low point after they get their yes. butts kicked and yeah. they're like licking their wounds and everybody's died and stuff. It's also, it's effective. Like it's, it's an effectively like sad and um, demoralizing scene in mm-hmm. the film uh, when all of the Narnians get stuck inside the castle. So I, yeah. does Edmund drop his? Oh, this isn't in the book. Yeah, your next couple of questions are in the movie. Uh, Edmund doesn't drop his flashlight like an idiot. Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> that felt like a movie thing, regardless of whether or yeah. not that whole scene was. in He there. doesn't pull a Gandalf and drop off the tower only to be caught by a yeah, griffin. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great moment in the movie where he falls off the tower. And by yeah. a great moment, I mean oh, okay. <laughs> all right, if you want, I guess you can do that. Um, and Peter's. Play- Plan does not get a bunch of Narnians killed. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So none of that was in the movie or in the book. Uh, in the movie, they decide uh, the 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 tr- um, Trumpkin's friend, Nick Brick. Nick Brick. His name. Uh, who's played by Warwick Davis in the movie? Uh, he basically loses hope after this battle, and decides we need help. We need the White Queen. We can resurrect her. I, I'm friends with a bird lady and a werewolf. <laughs> uh, and this is all in the movie again. Uh, and he comes to Caspian and is like, we can bring this lady back. We just need your blood. We should do that. And then they almost resurrect the White Queen. And I was one, I, I was really borderline on this because it's kind of an interesting idea. And it felt like something that makes sense in, t- in the book. The temptation, the, mm-hmm. the blood sacrifice, all these sort of things fall right in line with the themes kind of of the and like this going for this easy way out and turning to the <laughs> the devil in this or whatever um, to sort of solve your problems versus trying to go find Aslan. All made sense. But at the same time, it also felt like a movie thing in the sense of like. Uh, this is this character, the big, big bad character from the first movie. You guys remember her, right? It's we got the big name. At, it's what's her name? Uh, <laughs> we, we'll get her in here for a scene just to like remind you. All, oh, yeah, that. Woo. Darth Vader's back. Woo. And then we'll just kind of cut that out. So I could go to go either. I was 50 50 on whether or not I thought this was from the book. Is it from the book? The resurrect, the almost attempted resurrection of the White Queen. So there is an attempt to call back the White Witch. White um, Witch. Sorry, I had to keep calling her White Queen. But the movie amps it up. Okay. Uh, she doesn't actually appear for a moment in the okay. book. Okay. But is it a similar like? Is 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 what's Nick Nickabrick? Yeah, he's involved in it, and he does have uh, his two little friends, mm. uh, the werewolf and the hag. She's a hag. Yeah, that's, she's like a that's bird what they hag call her. In the, yeah, she looks she more a like a, uh, like a harpy. Yeah, but yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, like I said, I could have gone either way. So it it was actually exactly what I thought. That it made sense mm-hmm. to be from the book, but then the movie was like, "There's this actress and this thing you remember for the first one, and let's turn it into this big sort of set piece." Yeah, and amp it up to eleven. So that totally makes sense. Does Susan go all Legolas on some on some on some uh, telmarines in the woods, uh, and they, but then ultimately have to get saved by the boy? <laughs> no, that's not in the book. Uh, we talked about this in the prequel that Susan complained in the first movie. The actress who mm-hmm. plays Susan Anna Popplewell or something mm-hmm. um, that uh, her, she, she got this cool bow and arrow, but she didn't get to use it at all in the first one. 
And the director slash writer of this one was like, all right, and added some scenes. And this scene in particular felt like an added scene of like, here's a moment where you get to shoot some arrows at some people, Um, which it was a fun little scene. But she she shoots some people and then Caspian comes leaping in to save her. And a a second question. Well, I guess we're going to get to it here at the very end. We'll get to it in just a second. So I'll I'll leave that. (laughs) But this scene's not in the book. No. Or is it? No. No, it's not. Okay, so Anna, she doesn't go, Anna, uh, Susan doesn't go crazy with a bow and is not saved by Caspian. And then we get to the final battle. Is that final battle in the book? Um, There is. Like uh, where they're the last stand? The, yeah, there is something of a battle at the end. It's pretty short, though. Okay. Um, so my question was specifically about some of the tactics they use in this moment. Oh, I guess I should ask this because I thought this was interesting. And you, you'll be able to answer this. This is simple. Does Peter, like, one-on-one challenge... Yes. The, yeah, that uh, is in the what book. is his name? Moraz. Um, Moraz. So that is they like have a yeah. a duel or whatever. Yeah. Does one of them win? Does that all play out the same or similar? Or it's similar ish. They're like a draw. I guess is ultimately what happened. Or I guess Peter wins, but then yeah. leaves him, and then does he get killed by his yes. second in command or whatever? He gets or the other by guy? his own people. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in the battle, do they blow a giant hole in the battlefield? Because that was a weird thing that happens in the movie. No, they don't. They like they get cavalry charged, and then somehow, and I missed this. What did they do to blow a hole in? The, so like, there, it, like the implication was that there's like an underground cave. Well, I think it's the of? ruins of Narnia. It's an interesting yeah. thematic idea that they're fighting on top of the ruins of Narnia, and that. That's how they're able to win is by utilizing sort of right. the, the old yeah, and they like and knock the out the supports the is that supports, okay, and then, um, and then, and then collapses. The, yeah, the ground collapses. Yeah, and, and then they come in. out of some. They like their cavalry come. I thought that was kind of clever, and again thematically, I thought made sense of like mm-hmm. fighting these the, the new invaders from the new world with their on literally on the corpse of the old world, but utilizing the. Uh, the remains of old Narnia to defeat them, I thought was like a clever idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, finally, almost finally, penultimately, do the trees save the day a la... Now, I say a la Helm's Deep, but uh, this came first. So Yeah. This was published yeah. first. Um, but uh, the trees... And, and they don't really save the day in Helm's Deep so much as they just kill all the orcs as they run away, mm-hmm. basically. But... Uh, uh, Gandalf saves the day, but <laughs> uh, uh, is there? Do the trees show up? Does Aslan wake up the trees and they come and wipe everybody out? Yes, the trees come. That to does help. happen. Yeah. Okay. And second, does River Jesus? And I mean, literally, like, what was that other than Jesus coming out of the it's water? The river god. Yeah. Is that well, how do they describe that in the book? Because in the movie, so the at the very end, they try to cross the river and uh, <laughs> Liv Tyler. Uh, recites the the elven <laughs> the ancient elven that raises the river gods and they come and vanquish their foes for them but in the movie it literally looks like river jesus rises up out of the water and crushes the final the telmarine army and I, it, the thing that was strange to me is that i the reason i'm calling it river jesus is it doesn't there's nobody in the movie who that would relate to or in the previous movie who that would relate to that I'm aware of that would make any sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if it looked like Aslan, cool. I'm on board. Like that makes sense. You know what I mean? But this is like a bearded human looking person. The river deity Lord, whatever, I guess he okay. doesn't really have a name. Um, he comes out after they've already defeated 
the Talmarines. Okay. Uh, they turned a little to the right, raced down a steep hill, and found the long bridge of Baruna in front of them. Before they had begun to cross it, however, up out of the water came a great wet, bearded head, larger than a man's, crowned with rushes. It looked at Aslan, and out of its mouth a deep voice came. Hail, Lord, it said, loose my chains. Um, who on earth is that? whispered Susan. I think it's the river god, but hush, said Lucy. Um, <laughs> I think it's the river god. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bacchus, said Aslan, deliver him from his chains. That means the bridge, I expect, thought Lucy. And so it did. So they destroy the bridge and that frees the river okay. god. Interesting. But that character is in the book. But he doesn't destroy the army they've no. already won it yeah point. they've already oh, okay. won okay so they kind of move that around yeah there's this whole thing at the end of the book where they they win and then they like run around like and, the like, neighboring towns Narnia and like yeah and, like, like and like break chains right. and yeah they go danny breaker of chains yeah on the, yeah on narnia yeah okay interesting um so it's a river god okay mm-hmm. because I, silly me, I guess I was under the and, and I, no, it, uh, Christianity in its early days was very polytheistic in nature. So it, I, I guess it was strange to me because I'm inter- I'm looking at this through like this is a Christian allegory. Aslan is mm-hmm. our Jesus type character. Uh, looking at this monotheistically, um, who is this river god thing? Uh, so I was a little, you know what I mean? Yeah. In that regards, I was a little confused at like what that was supposed to represent. Because again, if it takes the form of Aslan or, you know, something like that, I'm like, okay, I kind of get what what's going on here. But in this regard, I was like, wait, well, so this a, is some other entity Kind of thing? one of the interesting things about the Narnia mythology right. is that so, like, so much of it is pulled from a lot of different mythologies. Right. Um, like, there's a lot of mythological creatures there, but then there are also, like, pagan deities yeah. that show yeah, up. Yeah. Like, there's this river god, um, there's Bacchus. Yeah, you just said Bacchus. Yeah. I was like, wait. <laughs> um, but if we get, like, deeper into that Christian allegory, they all bow down to Aslan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's what I guess was interesting, is that I wasn't, I think there wasn't enough explanation of that sort of the the lore and what was the mythos of what was going on of there being this expanded pantheon of lesser gods, mm-hmm. if you will, um, you know, that are all sort of under Aslan. I, I mean, I guess I kind of got that vaguely from, mm-hmm. but it, it just wasn't as I was a little just a little confused, but that that makes sense. So cool. River Jesus. If I'm remembering right, and I might not be remembering right, so take this with however many grains of salt, (laughs) dear listeners, I think that's one of the things that Tolkien didn't like about Narnia, was that the mythology of it was like a hodgepodge, and was like wishy-washy. mishmash of like... I mean, because we know how much Tolkien liked his mythos. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing, is that it feels... It's hard to tell in the movies, just like it's hard to tell in the Lord of the Rings movies. What mm-hmm. like when you read the books, you get, and especially if you read something like the Cimmerillion, you get a much more of a, a sort of understanding of. Yeah. But if you start doing some googling and reading of Wikipedia's about Middle Earth, you get a, you kind of get a very clear understanding of how the the gods and the deities right. and stuff all well, and work and the rules like what all make sense. Tolkien was doing; he was writing the mythology of Britain. Right. Right. I get that, and and this. When having not read the books, but just watching the movies, and from what you said, maybe sounds like that myth- mythology isn't, and, and why you said that 
Tolkien didn't like as much is that it, it feels a little more wishy washy. Like he didn't have quite not wishy washy so much as like. <sighs> I see. I don't. It's yeah. The hodgepodge think. nature of like. Well, okay, Aslan's like the one true god. He's 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 the lord, but also there's like these other. It just feels a bit like a mishmash of of things that doesn't feel as satisfying. Whereas uh, the way Middle Earth works to me, again, if you're a huge Narnia fan or a huge Middle Earth fan, I'm not doing any either of these things justice right now. But it feels a little more. Um, its own thing like it's 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 clearly drawing from all sorts of different mythos and folklores and that mm-hmm. sort of thing but it feels like it's been pieced together in a way that it's like become its own mythos as opposed to like piecemealed together right like we have Bacchus and we have the river god and we have Aslan who's basically Jesus like what okay interesting but like <laughs> well I mean yeah and, and like a you have Tolkien who was an academic and who was um what's the word i'm looking for like he was a professor of mythology for a while i believe i don't yeah uh, we did a deep dive yeah on we him, did a deep dive on I, him I, I, the only thing i know about him is linguistics I don't yeah know. and he, he was a linguist whereas lewis um he was a writer he was a theologian yeah um but i, I think Lewis kind of approached it more like, oh, I've read all of this cool mythology and I like this and this and this and this. So I'm going to pull all those things and put them in my story. Right. I don't feel like he didn't feel like he needed an extensive background on the history of the mythos of the world. Yeah, I think you can do that in a really good way. And I'm sure that, again, I have not read the book, so it's really, I I can't stress enough that my my take on this is as lay person as possible coming at it. Um, So I don't want anybody to be like, no, it is really in-depth and there is all this lore later, whatever, you know, like that may be the case. I'm coming at it purely from somebody who's seen the movies Mm -hmm. a a couple times or whatever. Um, And it just feels... When I when I watch even just watching the Lord of the Rings movies versus watching the Narnia movies, again, target audiences are slightly different. But it just feels like I feel like there's this way bigger, deeper, more interesting and more foreign thing going on inside the Lord of the Rings universe mm-hmm. than there is going on in Narnia. Well, when, when again when um, we did our Lord of the Rings, we talked a little bit about um that Tolkien had I believe written in letters where he'd said at some point that he was writing a mythology and then the stories were born of right. that. Yeah. With Lewis, what I suspect was that it was maybe more the other way around yeah. that he was writing these stories and kind of adding things to them yeah. and in a way kind of making it up as he went along yeah. is kind of the vibe I get. Now to be fair, it's been a long time since I've read the last couple. Yeah. Like I haven't read The Silver Chair or The Last Battle since like middle school. Yeah. And those are the ones that are right. like a little bit they're geared towards like a slightly older audience. Yeah. So maybe there's a more, like, a deeper yeah. um, something in that. But, yeah, like, kind of the vibe that I get from Narnia is that he was 
kind of flying by the seat of his pants yeah. as far as the mythology of the world goes. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a pretty classic uh, sort of dichotomy in storytelling, and it's kind of what people talk about with George R. R. Martin all the time mm-hmm. is the idea of are you a uh, what it's is it? architect and gardener. Yes, are you an architect or you're a gardener? And or it a sounds, planner or a pantser. Yes, however you want to <laughs> phrase it. Whereas uh, Tolkien was a gardener and. Um, uh, Lewis was a an architect, so Lewis had the story he wanted to tell, mm-hmm. and he built his stuff around that. Um, Tolkien was a gardener; he planted this, created this garden, and then he. I think that's the right. I think I'm doing this analogy the right direction. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> he plants the garden, and then it grows, and he finds the story within it. Whereas Lewis finds the story and then builds the yeah the world around the story he wants to tell. So yeah. like it's kind of two approaches to it, and. They're both have their merits, you know, you can because mm-hmm. because sometimes you can get a little windy and, and lost uh, a la George R. R. Martin in some of a uh, uh, song of ice and fire. But other times it, it, it makes the world feel more fleshed out and more interesting mm-hmm. and it just feels deeper, mm-hmm. um, obviously. So that was a, a sidebar of all sidebars. Uh, does Susan kiss Prince Caspian? No. Oh, OK. <laughs> I figured that was completely a movie. I have thoughts on ad. that. Uh, so their whole relationship in the movie is that it's not a thing. Their flirty flirtiness. It's not a thing. I mean, have you seen Pris Caspian? I have. Ben Barnes, a handsome fellow. Have you seen her lips? I, I have. They don't quit. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. All right, that's it for was that in the book. Let's move on to Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, was a lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So I have a few questions, just like two that were things I was a little confused about. I had a couple, and was that in the book that probably could have been here? But yeah, again, these two, as always, these two sections are just kind of whatever I want them to be. <laughs> so deal with it, listener. Um, how long does this story take place over in the book, uh, the course of this story? Because in the movie, it seems like Again, it's a movie. This happens in, we've talked about this in every movie we've ever done. A story that takes place over probably a year seems like it takes place over a couple weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the case in this in this movie where I was like, well, is this like a couple days? Like they're there and then like a couple days later they're fighting the, the battle of all battles to save Narnia and then or from the Telmarines and then they go back home. Um, is that... What's the timeline? Um, so they're actually not there for very long in the book either. The Pevensies are probably there for around a week, wow. maybe. Okay. Uh, and most of that is actually traveling with Trumpkin. Caspian's half of the story happens before they arrive. Like all the the leaving the castle mm-hmm. and the meeting up with the Nardians. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he he has all kinds of discussions with them and yeah. stuff like that before. They even blow the horn for the Pevensies to show up, and mm-hmm. then, yeah. And I think I'd read in a in a when we were doing the prequel that the movie studio was like, we got to figure out how to get the Pevensies here earlier right. because we can't have our main characters from the first movie not show up until the third act or whatever or yeah. whatever they do in the book. So, yeah. I mean, if it had played out more like the book, we would have opened with the Pevensies being pulled into Narnia. And Uh-oh. then they meet Trumpkin, and then we would have like a massive flashback in the middle of the story where we see everything that went down with Caspian. Uh, and then okay. we would go back to the Pevensies and Trumpkin as they're traveling through Narnia to meet up with Caspian and the Narnian forces. And they arrive at, um, at their like uh, station. 
What? What is the word I'm looking for? My goodness. Um, stronghold? Yes, stronghold. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. Like the, the Pevensies arrive at their stronghold, like, right as um, there is the attempt to raise the White Witch. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then yeah, they, like, join forces and make a plan. Yeah. I can see... Wow, that's quite a change. So, so there's pretty significant alterations mm-hmm. to sort of a lot of the story that goes on here yeah. that I bet people were not thrilled about or maybe were i don't know probably not I, well, who am i kidding of course they weren't thrilled about it <laughs> book readers are never thrilled about changes that movies make but um yeah i think it actually kind of works but we'll, we'll talk about it all right uh and then my last question for the section section i don't remember lucy's magical potion is that from the first movie and what is going on with that uh, yeah, she gets that from Santa Claus in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, a single drop cures any injury. Okay. I did not recall that yeah. at all for some reason. And it's magic, so it's still good after a thousand years. Yeah. Cool. All right. Nifty. That was all I had for Lost in Adaptation. Let's move on and hear what Katie has to say was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? everything all right so this movie opens with uh the baby being born and the attempt on caspian's life i'm going to talk about that i'm going to talk about the positives of that in the next section i think the negative thing with starting that way um is that we don't have any understanding of who any of these characters are or what the situation is or like how Dr. Cornelius relates to Caspian and like why he's helping him and why he even needs help and what the horn is. And like, we don't have any of that background information, Yeah, which I think makes it a little confusing. Yeah. It's confusing. I think I, I think I get it in the sense they're going for the like, okay, we're going to present you with all these mysteries so that you're like, what, what, what? And then we're going to back where, you know, we're going to sort of hand you the hint or the answers as we go, which I can work. Um, I, but I was, I think the thing that like we talked about earlier, the horn was most confusing to me with like mm-hmm. what the goal was and all that sort of right. stuff. Right, And but. I think that that kind of like hit him with a mystery and then slowly piecemeal out the answers can work. I just think that maybe this movie hit us with a little too much information. It's possible. Right off the top. It's possible. Yeah. I, I think. I think it worked mostly for me and other than a few specific elements like the horn and stuff, because like the Cornelius thing, like I was like, okay, yeah, he's a prince. That's his, it's like a class. If you know enough, like uh, sort of classic fantasy or like uh, medieval story type tropes, the, the, the prince, that's the guy with the long beard and the glasses when the books, the, that's his, that's his basically father figure who teaches him everything because his dad's off fighting in wars or whatever. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that kind of classic archetypal character. Like I got all that sort of stuff. So I was able to follow Caspian's story. And again, it's basically Hamlet, like the evil uncle, like all that stuff. I didn't need a whole lot of details with all that. And I, I was fine with like kind of getting answers here and there with it later because like, again, I've seen this story. I know what we're doing. Like I'm not that lost. Um, but some of the more like specific to this, universe like the horn and and that i was like i don't know exactly what's going on here so i think one of the other things that we missed by starting off in the middle of the action there is like some background information um on like caspian's education 
Yeah. Because he actually knows a lot about old Narnia, or he's supposed to yeah. at this point, which is one of the things that, like, endears him to the Narnians, is that, like, he had uh, Dr. Cornelius, but before that he had, um, like, a nanny, a nurse, who told him stories about old Narnia, um, and, like, both of these people were doing this, like, knowing that they weren't supposed to be educating him on these things. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a kind of an interesting element to the book that I didn't feel like we really got with the movie. They allude to that in the movie, because yeah. he says at one point when he's amongst the Narnians, he says, like, they're like, how do you know this? He says something about them or their past or their people or whatever and they're like how do you know this and he goes oh you guys are stories like I, mm-hmm. from the stories I was told or whatever um, and so like I feel like there's a hint of that but yeah he doesn't seem incredibly knowledgeable yeah in the movie he, he just seems yeah, to kind of have like book, a passing he's, uh, he's like pretty knowledgeable and he's pretty sympathetic to them already yeah so yeah I guess we don't really he just kind of his his sympathies seem as much motivated in the movie by the fact that he, he doesn't like his uncle for trying to murder yeah. him as it does that he's like sympathetic to their cause. It, I yeah. mean, you get that he's sympathetic to them, but it's a little less so than I think maybe we're supposed to get from it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So when the Pevensies are figuring out that the ruin they're in when they first arrive is Car uh, Paravel. I think is how that's pronounced. I think that's what they're called. I didn't even know what they were saying. Um, I forgot that was the name of the place. Or maybe it's Caraparavel. I don't know. Um, so they mention like, oh, it, this it was attacked. Like, which makes sense with the Telmarines. Um, but in the book, what happens is that like the Telmarines, um, it's on it's on a peninsula and they make like a canal and make it an island. Um, and basically, like, cut the Narnians off from it uh, okay. and, like, let it fall into ruin, which to me is so much sadder. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And all their stuff's there still. Yeah. So, like, if they had attacked it, you would think they would, like... Loot. Loot it. You would think. <laughs> but I guess it was hidden well I enough guess. or something. So, yeah. Um. So we skipped a lot of exposition with Trumpkin, which I understand... Uh, but I thought we talked about it a little. I thought skipping straight to the sword fight with Edmund was an odd choice. In the book, it's much more of a friendly fight, and like you understand why the boys like kind of set that up and where they're going with it. In the yeah. movie, it seemed a little bit like, "What are we doing right now?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I mean, we talked about it earlier. I was just a little it seemed a little odd. Yeah. Um. Hmm. What's a polite way to say this? What's a polite word for less, that? Less toxic masculinity between uh, Caspian and yeah. Peter. I could do without the Peter-Caspian... Um, a height measuring contest? Yeah. Man- Seeing who was taller? Biggest, manliest contest. Yeah. Who's the best king of kings? Yeah. I thought I it was do, all I right. I could do without that. It was fine. And I liked the fact that the the message was that it was a bad thing. Like... Yeah, like that's Peter fair. ends up making a bad. Although I think that's a little loose in the movie because I don't understand. So I, I guess I can talk about it here. I was a little confused, and because this isn't in the book at all, so their whole plan is like we're going to take this castle, right? Mm-hmm. And so they break into the castle, they sneak in, they kill a bunch of the guards, uh, and then they're going to open the gate and have their forces run in, mm-hmm. and that all happens, and then they start losing. And then so they have to run away. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, Peter, it's your fault. 
because but I don't understand what happened uh, that went uh, not according. So uh, so what goes not according to plan is is um, uh, uh, Caspian goes to save his uh, Cornelius or whatever. Right. Um, and, and so he's not there to open the gate. OK, well, Caspian goes to save Cornelius, who tells him. That his uncle murdered his father. Right. So which spurs him to, to go, go confront his uncle. Right. Who he does not kill, who then raises the alarm. Right. And so then all of the forces are rushing on them before their army is okay. in. So I think their plan was to like get their whole army in before anybody knew they were there. Okay. Yeah. And then they would have more surprise and they'd be able to like catch all of these soldiers unaware just murder them all in their sleep <laughs> like, maybe i don't know yeah. narnia is a much more savage place yeah. now okay i guess that makes sense i was a little confused because i was like so the like i felt like they were still gonna have to fight in that courtyard anyways and i felt like it wouldn't have changed much mm-hmm. but i i guess i see that they wouldn't have ideally they wouldn't, wouldn't have raised the alarm and then yeah. they would have been they, so to... they wouldn't have ideally wouldn't have been dealing with the whole army up and ready to fight right okay I guess that makes sense. Never mind. So could have done without the whole thing between Peter and Caspian. Also, honestly, could have done without the hint of romance between Caspian and Susan. But I, I kind of feel similarly about both of these elements that I, I think they're things that could have been interesting, but they were kind of underdeveloped. Oh, the Susan Caspian for the sure. The Susan Caspian was, was very underdeveloped, like so underdeveloped that it was basically nothing. And, like, that frustrates me because yeah. I think it could have been interesting. Yeah. But she didn't really do anything no. with it, movie. Yeah. Which, to me, by default, then makes the book just simply not doing that yeah. better. It's better because, in this instance, they could have done something interesting with it. And, and, and it, since they don't, it just feels like we the movie studio going, well, you got this girl and this guy... Love interest. Obviously. Got, obviously got a love interest. Got some movie. Got to do it. Because, yeah, they don't do anything with it. At least with the Peter Caspian thing, there's implications to the storyline. Right, uh, and it it pays off a little bit more. Yeah, we get some morals out of it, a moral message out of it about, like, not being a hothead, not, you know, about trusting people, about, you know, that sort of thing. Um, All of those elements, there's at least something that comes from it, where the Susan Caspian thing is just like... They, they look at them looking at each other. They're pretty and they're both like they do. They like each other. They're flirting a little bit. They kiss. Nothing happens. The end. She's going back to Earth. Yeah. Like it, nothing she goes back to England. Literally nothing. And comes she's never going to come back to Narnia. Yeah. And there's so. no there's no like what I'm trying to like. What's the moral of that's little nothing. You know, you don't get anything from it. I want to add here that I think it's potentially a kind of positive portrayal of female sexuality, maybe, in the sense that Susan gets to flirt with Prince Caspian, and she's the one who initiates the kiss, and then she's like, that's it, we're done, that's all I wanted out of this, moving on with my life, there's no like greater, she's not betrothed to him or anything like that. I think that's kind of interesting, on retrospect, as I thought about it a little more while I'm editing the episode, I think Katie agrees with that from what we've discussed about it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting, actually, potentially. kind of like that. All right, that was it for Better in the Book. Let's do better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. All right, so 
talked about the things that I didn't like about where the movie starts uh, with the baby being born and the attempt on Caspian's life. But something that I did like about that is I think that it's something it's somewhere that's exciting and intriguing to yeah. start out, like we talked about, starting with a little bit of mystery. Um, I also liked the parallel to the wardrobe. Oh, yeah. Where he he goes in the wardrobe and there's a secret uh, passageway to escape the the castle. Um, uh, Obviously a parallel to the wardrobe that initially brings the Pevensies to Narnia. And it is kind of him going to Narnia. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a clever, clever. Uh, Something that the movies do that I love that the books do not do is address how growing up in and being literal kings and queens of a fantasy realm would affect the Pevensies, <laughs> yeah. because that would trip you up. Oh, it would be rough. Imagine growing up and then all of a sudden popping back to being a kid. Yeah. That would wild. be real rough. Real, real wild. Yeah. And like the books do not address that at all, yeah. which is fine. They're like fun adventure stories. They yeah. don't really dig into like character arc or like the psychological implications of Growing up and then suddenly being a being kid a child again. again yeah. um, but I think that's something that the movie, like, it doesn't dig super deep into it, but, but, at, it, least but it at touches least on touches it. on it. Yeah. Um, I I liked the addition of some mystery as to whether or not Caspian survived, um, because we we see him blow the horn and then oh, it like yeah, yeah. cuts back to um the captain coming back with his horse yeah and uh the the dwarf trumpkin. yeah they have trumpkin but we yeah yeah so we don't know if like we're like oh did oh, they did get they him did, him or, did yeah. they capture him did they kill him what happened here yeah um so i thought that was an interesting change um although i'm sure we could assume he survived <laughs> since he's the title <laughs> the character title character yeah but I, I, I didn't. I assumed that he survived, but I thought maybe they had captured him because that, yeah. could have, you know, yeah. I didn't know it. Uh, so the the movie added to the political intrigue um, of this story. Uh, so the book starts out with uh, Miraz actually already having usurped the throne, oh, okay. and he's the king. And I could be misremembering this, but I don't think Caspian like even knows that he's. Like, he knows he's next in line for the throne because at the beginning of it, his uncle doesn't have any kids yet. Yeah. Um, but, he, like, he doesn't know that he's actually the the son of the right. rightful king. Yeah. Um, but the movie makes Miraz the Lord Protector. Yeah. Um, and then has him, like, gradually usurp the throne over the course of the movie, which I think makes a lot of sense for the ultimate reveal that his council members are plotting against him. Yeah. Which is also a thing that's in the book. Okay. I think it just, I think it's more interesting, it's more intriguing, and it makes a little bit more sense the way the movie does it. My only question in the movie, and you may have an answer for this or you may not, is that, um, and this may be in the book, uh, is there... Well, because, okay, so the it, the thing that makes more sense about him just being the king to me in the book is that in the movie, I wasn't sure, and I may have just missed a line, on why Caspian wasn't already the king. He's like 18 years old. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, because I was like, <laughs> what are they waiting, like, because he's the next in line, and there's nobody on the throne, and there's no, like, there's no, like, there's nothing going on where it's, like, yeah. up in the air who's supposed to be the king. It's him, and I'm like, he's... 
plenty I, old know, enough. I like, I, I don't know. At least for a fantasy setting or a medieval setting, he's wildly old enough to be the <laughs> king. Like, most of these people were kings when they were, like, 12 or whatever. Yeah. He's, like, 18 years old or something. He can be the king. Why is he not? I, I didn't, the movie never touched on that or whatever. So at least in the book, that kind of makes sense with that's fair. his yeah. uncle being on the throne, why he's not the king. In the movie, I was like, why is he just not the king? Like, why is, why, what are we, what are they waiting for? I thought that was strange. Then there probably was a throwaway line about him not being of age or something. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but, but really? Like every medieval, you know, every <laughs> feudal system like this ever, you can become king when you're eight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to uh, do what Ella Enchanted did, because they did the whole thing where, like, oh, he's on the throne and his uncle is doing, like, horrible things in his name and that's why everybody hates him. Right. Maybe they didn't want to do the same thing yeah. as Ella Enchanted. Yeah. Well, I... I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know why they did it, because it's more like the book of him not being on the throne and him leaving and then coming back and taking the throne from his uncle. I get all that stuff. I just... The movie, I felt like, didn't adequately explain to me why he wasn't on the throne. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's oh. fair. Uh, trying to take the castle, I think, gives us an interesting action beat. Um, and like you said, an interesting uh, second act low point, because we know it's doomed to fail. Yeah. We know this. Yeah, because there's in. an hour left in yeah. the movie, an hour and 20 minutes left in the um, movie. I'm going to talk more about this later, but the book just like wraps things up so easily. Yeah. So quickly, so easily. I think we need that moment of defeat. Um, and we especially need it to lead into the scene where they try to call up the White Witch, yeah. which I mentioned the movie ramps that up. I really liked that. Yeah. It was a lot more in-depth and I thought a lot creepier mm-hmm. than what the book went with. It's a cool scene. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Um, it's like, I would probably be scared of that scene if I was like a little kid watching this movie. Yeah, I could see that. I think that, I would yeah. be pretty creeped out. What I thought would have been cool that I don't think they did now, I could be misremembering this, and it's just a little detail that I thought would have been, that I kept expecting to see, and I and maybe they did and I just missed it and I, while I was typing or something, is that when she's reaching through the, the ice or mm-hmm. whatever, and she's like reaching for his blood, that why is his blood not going up his hand and like like it's being pulled oh you know yeah, that would have been that, interesting like, and like it's like being pulled up towards her and stuff mm-hmm. like as he reaches out slightly i thought would have been really interesting just like a little visual detail to kind of like be like oh oh no but you know whatever it doesn't matter it's not important it's just, <laughs> me the filmmaker was like why didn't they do that <laughs> uh there were a couple of things from the book that i was kind of glad the movie did without uh, there's a short, weird scene when, uh, Aslan meets Trumpkin where he like picks him up like a kitten and shakes him and he's like, do you believe in me now? And it's kind of just like a weird moment in I, the book. The movie didn't need any more scenes to make me dislike Aslan. So that's a good <laughs> thing. They didn't do that. Boy, we'll get to it. But I, Aslan in this movie does nothing for me. Um, I also mentioned that there's a whole like chapter at the end of the book where they like run around the nearby towns um, and like break chains and set loose old Narnia, which I'm kind of glad we could nix. Yeah, because it was it was like a weird like too long denouement. Yeah, to and, the the final. And it's one of those things that you just know happens. Yeah, like, you don't, we don't need, need to, to see, see it. it. Like it's, it's fine. We know it's that they fine. went. Everything's better now. Like the end. That's <laughs> we get it. <laughs> We get how these stories work. 
All right, that was it for Better in the Movie. Let's talk about what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, quite a few like little details. Uh, Caspian getting knocked off of his horse when he runs headfirst into a tree branch. That's from the book. Uh, the scene in the railway station is pretty spot on, except that they're supposed to be like the only ones there, which yeah. I mentioned. Um, and then afterwards, when they get to Narnia and just immediately start playing in the ocean, <laughs> not like a what happened, what just happened? look oh, the ocean. Right. Yay. <laughs> Narnia. Um, the little gold chess piece that they find in the ruins yeah, is yeah. from the book. Um, the bear attack. Uh, the one of the boys has a line about um, girls never keeping maps in their heads, and then uh, Lucy fires back with, "That's because we have other things in there." Yeah. Uh, so that's straight from the book. Um, the dear little friend recurring joke, where they call uh, Trumpkin their dear little friend, they call him the DLF throughout the story. Hmm. That is from the book. Um, I'm, I don't maybe maybe that was wildly hilarious in 1950s Britain. I'm not really sure. To me, it was a little bit odd. I have to talk about. I don't. Okay, I don't see it here. And I meant to ask, and was that in the book? The Mouseketeers. Oh yeah. Okay, I forgot to ask about that earlier. Yes. I didn't know if those were in. The... Yeah, Reepicheep and his battalion of fighting mice are totally With their from the book. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Voiced by Eddie Izzard in the yes. movie, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Fun choice. Yeah. Um, and he is, I believe, a bigger character in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, Lucy seeing Aslan over the hill and everybody else blowing her off and then ultimately having to backtrack because they couldn't go the way that they wanted to go and did, in fact, need to follow Aslan. Mm. <laughs> um, there's a lot that happens differently during the single combat scene with Peter and Mraz, yeah. but the result is basically the same. Uh, the captains kill Mraz when he's down, and then they try to pin it on the Narnians as an excuse to start fighting gotcha. with them. Uh, trees fighting, River God showing up. We talked about both of those things. Um, Aslan restoring Reepicheep's tail. Oh, yeah. Um, and Edmund's final line about leaving his torch in Narnia. His flashlight. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got a new flashlight, and he left yeah. it in Narnia. And he's like, shucks. Pretty much. I dropped it. <laughs> oh, bother. I thought him <laughs> dropping that flashlight was going to be the reason all those Narnians died for a minute. And I was like, oh, boy, Edmund, you can't do anything right. All you had to do was stand there and just shine a flashlight. You, you messed everything up in the first one. And this time you drop and broke your flashlight. And now everybody dies because of it. But no. All right. That was it for the movie. Nailed it. We've got a few odds and ends. And then we'll get to Katie's final verdict. talk um, can we just mention the guy that's talking to susan oh at yeah the beginning of, at the beginning of the movie while they're, while they're still in england before they she's get like pulled news, into narnia a news stall yeah she's at something. like a news stall and she's flipping through a magazine and there's this kid who keeps trying to talk to her and we're like dude Bro, take, a take a hint she does not want to talk to you if you're a youngin and you've watched this movie uh if you uh try to talk to a per anybody in the world and they uh say the words to you i don't like to talk to people or whatever she said in that scene here's a hint 
Stop talking to them. <laughs> walk away. Give them a nice smile. Say good. Enjoy your day, and then move on I with your life. Well, he's like he goes to like the school across the river right. or yeah, whatever, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, I've seen you. You're always by yourself." And she's like, "I prefer to be by myself." Yeah, yeah. And he still doesn't he take. Doesn't the, take does a not hint. take like, a hint. Oh boy. Oh, bro. Bud, come on. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, learn, learn, learn from this movie. If nothing else, yeah. um, when women ask you to leave them alone, you should leave them alone. Into <laughs> <laughs> that moral story. <laughs> I mentioned it earlier, but I that I thought they definitely took a lot of cues from the things from other movies, and also from things people didn't like in this one mm-hmm. or in the first one. Um, I, I think overall, I probably enjoyed this movie more than the first one. Like just. As like a fun movie to watch, I think I thought it was more fun, and and I liked elements of it more. Not everything mm-hmm. about it, but more, but just in general. Um, and part of it, one of my big complaints in the first one was that Narnia felt, and now maybe this was all on purpose. Maybe this was their plan. I started thinking that when I started reading this book, and they were like, "I don't remember any ruins in Narnia." Right. I remembered talking about this. Right, and it's not so much that it needed ruins. My thing was that in the first one, it's like all the armor, all the stuff, the whole world, everything was super colorful, everything was super clean, everything felt not lived in. It didn't mm-hmm. have that weight and that the realism that uh, when you go and you watch the Lord of the Rings movies, um, specifically the original the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not The Hobbit. The Hobbit has a bit more of this problem that yeah. Narnia had. Um, or uh, even like the later Harry Potter movies, they're not as period, but they are like when you get to the, like Hogwarts and stuff, feels much very lived in to mm-hmm. me and real and like a place that people live. Um, and the, the first movie lacked that for me and it made it took me out of the experience. It felt like I was watching yeah, was people play acting. It felt like shiny. I was watching LARPers or something, you know, like <laughs> not but kind of like yeah. it just felt clean. And, 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 and now, again, maybe that was all because they knew in the sequel that they're going that, that they're going to. But the sequel is much grittier. It's darker. I didn't necessarily need the colors to be more muted. This movie did that. It did sort of the the progressing of the Harry Potter series where we go from more colorful to like a lot more blues and grays and uh, greens and, and muted colors and darkers. Mm-hmm. And that's I didn't need that as much. But but even disregarding that all of the props, all of the sets that they're on felt more lived in. It felt more real and it just felt like more of a real place. And I liked that a lot more about it in this one. Uh, It just didn't feel like sets. It felt like actual, an actual world (laughs) a lot more, which I really enjoyed this time around. Uh, And I, I don't know if they, if that was on, if, if that was a response to criticism or if that was always their plan was for it to be sort of, but I I can't imagine it was always their plan for it to look more realistic. (laughs) Like again, the, the muted color palettes and the uh, sort of grittier feel of everything. I think that probably could have been on purpose because we're going from sort of a more fun introductory uh, story to this uh, Narnia's in ruins. Mm -hmm. They're all, they've all been genocided. Things are rough. Like, yeah, you're going to mute your color. You're going to, go to a different sort of style choices there than you did with the first story. But I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting. The reason I asked about the, the outfits, them being school children or whatever, very much in the fact that they wear those into Narnia felt like they were trying to pull a little bit of like having those shots in the trailers that reminded people of Harry Potter. 
because like they have like the red and yellow striped ties and like the you know what I mean? It was like felt a little. And now I know that's just like a British school thing. Like I understand that that's not like Harry Potter didn't invent that or anything. Right, But for an American audience. Yeah. It just felt like maybe they were like, maybe let's lean into some of that a little more because maybe people will see that and it'll trigger the same sort of things in them that Harry Potter did. And then maybe. Um, <laughs> but they they get them into a yield ren fair clothes pretty quickly yeah yeah and I, but i even thought that stuff looked better like yeah. it looked more real to me and less like ren fair clothes yeah you know what i mean and no, yeah. i agree uh when we get to the battle between um in particular the battle between peter and Maraz, they're like dual uh, this is a problem in every movie, and I'm not the world's most knowledgeable on this, but I, I, it's a, it's a kind of a little minor hobby of mine. I like watching and 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 uh, videos about uh, medieval and historic combat, especially like from the time period where they're wearing armor and plate armor and all that sort of stuff. And it's really noticeable in this one that, and again, almost every movie has this problem, um, where people are fighting in like plate mail with swords. But they just don't use the weapons in any way similar to how you would actually use them to fight another person in plate armor. They're fighting each other, and the first thing... So they're both wearing full plate armor and chain mail and have shields and helmets. And the first thing Peter does is he runs up this uh, ruin next to him and jumps off it and swings his sword in this big sweeping arc. It's very dramatic, but he swings, he slashes down with his sword at the top of uh, Miraz's head and he blocks it with a shield or whatever. And it's just best case scenario in, in an actual fight in that moment. He hits him in the head on his fully armored helmet <laughs> and it just dents his sword and glances off and nothing happens. Maybe his head hurts a little like... But so the the problem is in this fight, they use almost nothing but cutting. They like slash at each other constantly, which is useless. Right. It's what this armor is developed to. The only thing you can't do against. (laughs) Slashing at people in full plate and and chain mail is pointless. It's just pointless. You have to stab. You have to. Yeah, you crush. Have you have to, to get in between the plates. To get in between the armor. There's so many things you have to do, and they don't. They never do any of it. Now, when he ultimately does end up at least sta- uh, like stabbing Mraz at the end, he does stab him at least, which it would puncture probably that chainmail or whatever um, if he was strong enough and that sort of thing. So he does at least stab him there to like actually deal like the winning blow or whatever. But it's just it's. Again, it's not a this movie problem. It's a like all medieval yeah. combat movie problem. But it's just like it's so laughable now. Once you learn anything about how that combat works, it's just like, what are you guys even that doing? Wouldn't be nearly as dramatic to watch. No, if they just poked well, at each other. Well, they don't just poke at each other. You can come up with ways that's interesting to do it. It just takes. It's a, you I know. I'm just. Teasing. I know, and, and it's not what people are expecting. You also have to like lay into yeah. what you know. They're sort of the expectations of the audience, and if they if they're seeing more traditional, actual like. Uh, historical martial arts are gonna be like, what is this? Like, is this this is stupid? I like it can you can still do it to look cool, but um, it's it's definitely more complicated. So mm-hmm. it's just, it just always makes me chuckle. The, the easy thing is just don't have them in armor. Don't have mm-hmm. them in this big plate. If you want to have them fight that way, have them in very minimal armor, and then it at least makes sense. Like you know, like they can 
they can cut each other. It, I move on, move on, move on. Well, Talk hang on. on a second. I had a question actually about the single cut, about that scene. Can you just call for a respite whenever during single combat to I, the death? I like, would say probably. It would depend on like what the circumstances were, but it, if if the, it, I I'm going off the seat of my pants here, <laughs> off the cuff. I would bet that if they were doing some sort of uh, historic, like some sort of traditional duel between like the champions of these two armies to where they weren't going to fight. I don't even know how much that happened, if it was even a thing. But let's say yeah. it was a thing. I wouldn't be remotely surprised to know that you could ask for mm-hmm. a, a break, a respite, and that it was considered good form to grant that to your opponent. That, yeah. Like, especially again, depending Chivalrous. on the, depending on the time period, depending on who's fighting. I can mm-hmm. like again, knights. That's it totally wouldn't surprise me if that was a thing that happened. Um, so I could see that being potentially a thing that would happen. I know again, I, you know, and again, since it's a fantasy thing, you right? Know, whatever, it, sure, maybe. I just thought it was funny that like. It was like right when Peter was about to win, Mraz is like, respite, yeah. respite, respite, yeah. respite. You know, it's funny. It's it's funny and it makes you chuckle and you're like, what? But I think that's actually probably fairly realistic. If I had that's to fair, guess, yeah. if I had these little silly things like that tend to actually be kind of how like duels worked and stuff like, yeah, <laughs> I, if I had to guess, I you know, but again, I'm kind of speculating here. So uh, can we talk about um, how... Uh colonizer the narnia narrative is oh yeah yeah i i thought immediately like how problematic this is oh it's super problematic children need to come save the day well and And it's not just that it's that the native narnians are like you know what a son of adam and a daughter of eve do have to sit on the throne it's better when a human rules us we can't rule ourselves (laughs) we cannot no absolutely not (laughs) No, no, no. Like, just the entire concept of it, it's so colonial. It's so, I'm sorry, British listeners, it's so British. It's so British. It's so British. It's so very British. I you mean, guys know your we, history. We don't <laughs> have a lot of room to talk no. being American. We'll cop to that. <laughs> but, like, this narrative... But at least we have less of a time period to talk about. <laughs> this The whole narrative is, like, oof. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is for sure. Uh, it's definitely yeah, um problematic. Uh yeah, the, yeah, it's it's Narnians are very happy to cede their um independent their they're very happy to cede control yes, of their nation. Of their nation to these just random because white folks who showed up. Aslan said. <laughs> yeah. Because Jesus was like, "Hey, <laughs> these white folks are pretty cool." <laughs> You should let them run you. <laughs> you should let them own you. <laughs> they don't own them. I'm just, yeah. It is, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got its, it's, it's, yeah. It's not great. Um, my, my other thing, and I mentioned this earlier, I got to talk about, uh, one, uh, one little quick thing. I don't think this movie earned the Lucy, um, Trumpkin relationship that it thought it had no, by the I, end. I don't think it At did the either. end, they like hug and they're like, oh, goodbye. I miss you. And yeah. I'm like, but there are a couple beats to it where I think they really tried for it. I just don't think it ended up working. I just did not get like not remotely because I felt like they were going to a similar thing with her and um uh what from the first one the the oh Mr Tumnus Mr Tumnus James but, McAvoy yeah James McAvoy <laughs> which that one you know it's there I get it this yeah. one I was like I I am not getting yeah at all I'm not picking up what they're trying to sell me at all here I'm not buying what they're trying to sell me at all here. My last big thing, uh, and this is where I'm going to get into the things that the thing that drives me crazy about this movie or these movies is how little 
so I, I can totally watch something that has a sort of a Christian or religious allegory narrative. And as long as it's an interesting, clever story and well done, totally into it. Fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. And I think overall these, these do that pretty well. As far as like Christian literature goes, this is among my favorite. <laughs> Again, I haven't read the books, <laughs> but as the films, um, as far as uh, like uh, of a uh, Christian quote unquote Christian movies, which I would argue these really aren't, but kind of again, you can. Uh, mm. it, it, they're not really like if you if you sat a kid down who didn't know what Christianity was. Yeah. If I watched these movies when I was eight, I mean I knew what Christianity was, but like, <laughs> um, if you sat somebody down who didn't know what Christianity was and they watched this movie, they just think this was a fun fantasy movie. Yeah. There's no overt like. Right. Uh, not that there's no overt i'm going to talk about what is overt but well it to me the it feels it just feels shoehorned in yeah when they when they go when they go for the christian messages it feels kind of just like shoehorned and wedged into the story and that's what that's what i was getting at is that because they're they're so relatively well done apart from that and it doesn't feel like that's what we're going for that when aslan does show up and and drops his like I'm Jesus lines and it becomes so obvious mm-hmm. if you know the sort of cultural touchstone of what's going on and what what where this is coming from. It's like super uh, oofy to me. Like it's like, ugh, all right. Like so Aslan shows up and he just has these like it's it's so blatant. I guess is the thing. Whereas so many, cause so like, so supposedly Caspian, his whole storyline and what the, uh, what, what CS Lewis is going for has to do with like, and with his uncle is like the tell Marines that, uh, and his uncle are like the fallen religion and, and something to do with Paul. I don't know. I don't know the biblical stories well enough, but there's some sort of parallel that is supposed to be going on with Caspian and his uncle and, mm-hmm. and the tell Marines and the Narnians and him and all this sort of stuff. There's some supposed to be some sort of parallel in the Bible to, or, or in Christianity to that. I don't know what it is. And so, but it, it, it doesn't read that way to me. But then when Aslan shows up, he literally comes in and he's like, they're like, I wish Aslan had given us some sort of proof. And then they're like, maybe we're the ones who need to prove ourselves to Aslan. And it's like, okay. Like it just, it's so overt Mm -hmm. in those moments with Aslan. And then also it gets real gross to me. This movie in particular, the last one didn't really have this. This one had a moment in particular where I was like, Oh, way to just lay bare. How like weird Christianity is like here where it was like, uh, at the very end of the movie, um, (laughs) Lucy find goes to Aslan or whatever. And is like, uh, she asks Aslan after she goes and finds him. She says, uh, hey, would anybody have died? Would all of those people still have died if I would have come and found you sooner? And he's like, who can say? <laughs> Which feels very passive aggressively like, no, I would. No. Every, if you would have come to me sooner, if you would have trusted in me, Jesus, sooner, nobody, everybody would have been fine. And then it's like it's and but he says to her and it basically feels like him being like, it's kind of your fault that you didn't believe in me and trust me and come Mm -hmm. find me. Mm -hmm. It's your fault. All those people died, Lucy. But I'm love and I'm going to save the day now. But it's kind of your fault. Like, that's what it feels like in that scene to me. I could I that move that scene in particular. I was like, this is gross. I don't like this at all. (laughs) I do not like this at all. But. 
in that scene, to me, Aslan sort of embodies the worst aspects of religion, the sort of guilt-tripping, abusive relationship that I feel that <laughs> a lot of uh, monotheistic religions contend to veer towards, uh, where it feels like he's victim-blaming and <sighs> guilt-tripping somebody for doubting something that they had every reason to doubt um, I could go in depth. This is a whole big topic for me. If anybody wants to hear my <laughs> my thoughts on religion, that's a whole other podcast. But I, just to kind of nail it down a little more, I, I that scene in particular really hit me in a way that felt like the grossest aspects of religion sort of compiled into one scene that's supposed to, it is meant to be an endearing, sweet scene. And to me, it was anything but that. Uh I do think that Aslan as a character, as like a, as a story element, we'll say not even as a character, because he's not really a character. He is, but yeah. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. I think he works a lot better in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe than yeah. he does in this story. And I think it's because our big bad is also like a magical entity. Yeah. So we need another magical entity right, to help to battle that, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like a, and it's like your quintessential like epic, the unicorn sure. versus the lion kind of sure. narrative, good versus evil. Um, I guess that one doesn't really work, since yeah, whatever. Um, but in this story, I think it's more so in the movie, but even in the book his element just feels kind of, like I said, kind of shoehorned in. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really need to be there. He, it feels like he doesn't so need to be there. So it feels like they inv are inventing a reason that he needs to be an element in this yeah. story. and then they give him just the weirdest dialogue. Again, he literally, <laughs> to me, I don't know how you read that scene when he's talking to Lucy other than, it's your fault you didn't come to me sooner. Like, in the most passive-aggressive way possible of him not saying... He says, oh, no, no one could ever know. Let's go save everybody. Love, peace, harmony. But he's basically saying, yeah, yeah, you come sooner. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the only way I can read that scene mm -hmm. is like, you know, you want to trust me and like believe to me. Nobody would have died. This is, this is on you, Lucy. This is your fault, Lucy. And it feels very Christian of the movie to say that. But I'm just saying, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, we'll move along uh, and get to your final verdict and see which one you think is the winner. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. So this is one of those cases where I think both the book and the movie have some fatal flaws. I think both of these suffer from like some pacing and structure issues. Uh, the book flip-flops back and forth between the Pevensies and Caspian, but it tends to switch just as each story is getting warmed up. Uh, the movie races through a good bit of the story, which I think results in some unearned parts of the denouement, like the Lucy Trumpkin friendship, and then Susan and Caspian's quote-unquote relationship. Um, and there are also some unclear character motivations, like basically all of the Talmarines except for Mraz. Yeah, we didn't even get into that, but I yeah. do not understand where they're all coming from. Yeah, like the other nobles, like by the end of it, I was like, what is this guy's motivation? I straight up thought at the end of the movie that they were going to turn and just have 
end up being pretty good people who weren't on board with Miraz and ended up and were going to like kill him and then be like, yeah. We surrender. Let's all live in harmony. But no, they just start the war anyways. And I'm yeah. like, wait, what? Okay. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, both the movie and the book, I think, suffer from a lack of meaningful character development. Now, in the movie, I think this is similarly due to issues with the script. Um, in the book, I think this is largely because Lewis doesn't really do character development. His stories are narrative driven. Um, and that works for a lot of the Narnia books. Like, it really works for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, it doesn't really work here. Uh, Prince Caspian, the book, is quite frankly kind of boring. Um, not a whole lot happens. And the conflicts are ultimately wrapped up really quickly and really neatly. Like, I mentioned that in the book, they don't try to take the castle. Yeah. So we don't get that that kind of defeat moment. Right. We go right from the Pevensey showing up to the single combat, and then there's a super brief battle, and then they just win right away. Yeah. And everything's fine. Um, so... <laughs> Mainly for that reason, I'm going to tentatively give it to the movie this time. I think the movie has scores of issues, but I also think it at least tried to be interesting. I think it tried to give good narrative beats yeah, and good character I it, development. I thought it did okay. And and do it I think it tried to do okay with like thematic elements. Yeah. Um, and in light of that, too, I would posit that maybe the movie's issues stem directly from the book, oh. from taking a narrative-driven story where not much happens and trying to make it into something that's exciting and watchable. I think that would be a rough task. I thought I was going to say the most controversial things in this episode, but <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, Prince Caspian, the movie, is bad, according to Katie. I'm trying to justify it as best I can here. And look, I you don't have to argue with me. I I enjoyed the movie. I th- I again, I didn't really say it earlier, but I thought the movie was like fine. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed it more than the first one overall, and I thought it was it had its flaws, but I thought it was like a little pacing issues and stuff yeah. like that. But I thought overall it was like a fun yeah. fun movie. So, I'm that might be a controversial final verdict. I just hope that people who come to argue on the social media bother to listen to what the final (laughs) verdict is before coming at me and maybe if you prefer the book give explicit reasons why yeah and not just like nostalgia (laughs) not that there's nothing there's anything wrong with saying that if if it does just boil down to nostalgia perfectly fine you can like it because of nostalgia but if you do have reasons if you think you have reasons for why you prefer the book over the movie Lay them out for us. We would love to hear them because, again, we're far from experts on this particular series. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you if you if there's a series you love and you have strong feelings about, we like to hear them because uh, we we, yeah, we like to hear from you. That's it for this episode, Katie. Before we get to what's coming up next, do you know what's coming up next? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, before we do that, if you could do us a favor, rate and review us on all of the places that you listen to our fine podcast. That would be fantastic. You can also do us the great favor of following us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, and Reddit. On Facebook and Twitter, we will have the polls where you can vote for whether you preferred the movie or the, of the, or the book of Prince Caspian. You can also comment and leave your opinions about 
which you preferred and why. Uh, if you don't want to leave those out in public for whatever reason, you can also message us those things. And if you don't want something, whatever, you know, if you don't want it read, just say that or whatever. But if you want to message us, feel free to do that. Um, uh, on any of those social media platforms, just search for This Film Is Lit and you should be able to find us pretty easily. We're the only podcast out there called This Film Is Lit. There is Lindsay Ellis's. It's called It's Lit, but that's slightly different. Yeah, that was and like, we were first. <laughs> we were. That was a, a video PBS. series with PBS. The, so PBS video different. series. A little different, but you may find that. But yeah. All right. Uh, and so, Katie, what's next? Um, up next, we are going to do a picture book because guess what, kids? It's final season. Oh, yeah. And I'm buried yeah, under busy. a mountain of grading. Yeah. And I don't have time to read a grown-up book. Or even a middle grade book. (laughs) So we're going to do a picture book. And we're going to do Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I've never seen this movie. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I've seen parts of it. But it was was like one of my favorite books when I was a kid. Fantastic. All right. Cool. You heard it here first. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I think that was on Netflix. It's not a Disney, is it? No. So it's not on Disney Plus or whatever. I don't think so. All right, well, we'll go find it, and we'll, we'll see where you can watch it. Uh, but that will be in two weeks' time. In the meantime, we'll have a prequel episode in one week's time where we'll read and discuss your feedback on this very episode. Uh, and until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.